Hi, this is Tom Field. I'm Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about an adversarial view of the world. I'm talking with the author of that view, Joshua Corman, his Director of Security Intelligence with Akamai. Joshua, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for talking to me. So we sat down for a few minutes before we started recording this conversation, and the premise you gave me, I'd like to hear you talk about, is that the security industry needs to hit rock bottom. Why is that? You know, I think those of us that have passionately been trying to improve the state of security um, have been very, very frustrated. And some of us have kind of hit this rock bottom moment, uh, which is almost necessary to cause change, right? No one changes until they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, And some of us have hit that, but writ large, you go to the conferences. I mean, we're here at the Gartner Symposium, and there just isn't that saturation point where we realize that we're doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And just about every aspect of external impact on our risk profiles has changed, but our risk approaches really haven't. And I've realized one of the most valuable things we can do is cause someone to hit rock bottom such that they realize they're not just a little bit behind to work harder, but we're very, very behind and need to work much, much smarter. One of the points you made to me is that good enough is not good enough. Could you go into that a little bit, please? Yeah, my keynotes lately, I had these two very trite slides. One says, good enough. When I hear it's good enough, I know it isn't. And when I hear best practices, I know they aren't. Um, and I think that's really because when we codified some of these patterns, they really predicated on a pre-2003 notion of IT, a pre-2000 notion of an adversary type that's casually motivated or financially motivated, pre-2000 definition of business models. And when I walk through the five things that impact a CISO's job, you know, that, that balloon their cost, complexity, and risk, We've had massive change on the threat landscape, on the compliance and regulatory landscape, on the IT technology landscape, on business appetites, and on economic front. And the only thing that really hasn't changed is us. So, you know, th- this is the kind of moment where I think uh, we haven't really refreshed what those best practices should look like. Now, you talk about the necessity of having to have an adversarial view of the world. I know it's controversial in some circles, so make your case for that. What are we doing wrong, and why do we need to shift our approach? No, I I really can't tell you why we're so allergic to considering the adversary. Uh, Very, very smart people that I have a lot of respect for really hate the idea of even considering who's attacking you. They kind of say something like, well, it shouldn't matter. If you simply hardened all your systems, it doesn't matter if it's state-sponsored or a script kitty or an activist. Um, But that's fairly naive. I think none of us have the resource to protect every asset from every possible vector. And in fact, if you look at the available data from, like, say, the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report, less than 10% of the art of the possible attacks actually get expressed. And when you filter down by asset type or adversary type, it's less than 4% usually. So by sprinkling penicillin dust over all of our, you know, vulnerable, sick uh, assets, we're actually never curing any of them. So I'd, mu- I'd like to be much more sniper-like in who's attacking us, which which motivational structure, going after which assets within that structure, and what are their tactics, techniques, procedures, or methods. And you can create through the model that I've developed with David Etchu, uh this chaining of a, a who to a why to a what to a how. Uh, essentially allows you to be very, very focused on the right countermeasures, on the right assets against the right players. Um, and I, I think this is table stakes now, and the people that are embracing this wholeheartedly are the victims of espionage, or the people who have ex- personally hit rock bottom and experienced the shortcomings of these checklists and silly things like thinking PCI will save us. 
you've developed, a, as you say, a model of this. Give us a sense, if I'm a CISO in an organization, how is an adversarial view going to look as I put together my defenses? Well, the, I mean, the beauty of this kind of a model is you can have a tabletop exercise with your executive stakeholders, and I've done this with board of directors, in fact. Um, it's really simple. It fits on one slide or one whiteboard. You're basically saying, of the pantheon of modern adversaries, which of these actually affect our business? And by choosing that, there are downstream ripple effects. Okay, okay, this is how they're motivated in their campaigns. This is the assets they'll go after and the methods they'll use. And an interesting thing happened in the last month or so. I was talking to a CIO with his CISO in the room. He said, so, all right, I know we're pretty good on the auditor. We just passed our audit. How are we doing on protecting our trade secrets and our intellectual property? And he goes, we're not. And the CIO looked gobsmacked. He said, what do you mean we're not? And he goes, well, all of our budget was on regulatory mandated spending, and we didn't have time and money, and you didn't want to look at our risk models. And and it was a real wake-up call. It wasn't that the organization was irresponsible. It's that they really thought and were conditioned to think that, you know, no breached organization was compliant at the time of the breach and that PCI would make them magically, you know, protected against everybody. But they found they were very vulnerable to activists. They were very vulnerable to espionage-based adversaries. And ultimately, we ended up pulling general counsel in the room saying, you know, if we don't take reasonable steps to keep our secret secret, even if we try to sue someone, we're going to lose. Um, so it liberates on the strategic planning role-playing session on a single graphic. You're doing a guided conversation that's not about assets and CVEs and likelihoods and probabilities. It's really based on who's after us, who's hurt our neighbors, who hit us last year. And it frames maybe how do you realign some of those priorities in spending. You might, in fact, find new champions for spending our projects. On the tactical side, and this is something we do in our day jobs at Akamai, is this also is incredibly valuable during an active attack. Um, there, uh, I like to say false flags are legion. One of the unnecessary and unfortunate side effects of the anonymous phenomenon is that a lot of uh, organized crime and state actors are pretending to be anonymous. So often we'll see an attack that's claiming we are legion, etc. There's nothing posted in pastebin. The tactics, techniques, and procedures look very, very similar to a Russian fraud campaign we had previously seen. The traffic profile looks the same. So when we've actually mapped a who to a why to a asset type to a method, deviations and anomalies in the method can reveal that maybe it's not about taking down the availability of your site. Maybe you should take a much closer look at your fraud analytics. Uh, so sometimes these DDoSs that you've seen making headlines are more weapons of mass distraction for the, the actual intended thing, which was to buy time for money mules to actually turn that potential fraud into, into realized loss. Uh, and, and that becomes incredibly valuable in a tactical sense to, to create decision support for your very finite resources in an emergency. Joshua, final question for you. We started this conversation by saying the industry has to hit rock bottom. How's that happen? What's it going to take? Uh, well, I'm, I, I'm trying to help the cause. Um, in a longer conversation, perhaps, uh, one of the easiest ways I tell people to do it is to use something I call H.D. Moore's Law. H.D. Moore uh, is the inventor of Metasploit, a free and open source project. In fact, I believe it's still the largest Ruby project on Earth. And it's really a gut check, which is, I assert to you that just like Moore's Law, which is that compute power doubles every 18 months, H.D. Uh, Moore's Law is the strength and the growth rate of a casual attacker or script pity. And what I tell people to do is go home and spend an afternoon using the free attack tool that an attacker with no skill is that strong and see if your current defensive hypothesis stands up. 
And in the two years I've been talking about Ancient Orange Law, not a single program could handle even the free version of that display. So while many of us are talking at conferences about hack back or stopping APT and, st and state-sponsored espionage, we can't even stop script kiddies. And that sobering moment isn't meant to crush your will. It's to say, wow, we're really behind. And it liberates you to have a conversation with other research I and others have done on how do you asymmetrically close those very large gaps between our offensive adversaries and our defensive capabilities. So you really won't stimulate the adoption and pursuit of those until you actually say, wow, we're, we're really, really behind. Josh, I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you.